Good morning. Good morning. I'm Leo Robinson uh, from Good Church. I'm the lead pastor there. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for allowing me to be here. What a wonderful opportunity this is for me. You know, um, you know, I'm a lead pastor, but better than that, I'm also a father and a husband. Um, my wife and I have been married for 17 years. Yay. Uh, Leo and Mio. Her name is Miosha, but everyone calls her Mio. Uh, together we have five children. I know I don't look like I have five kids, but we do. And they range from the ages of five months to 21 years old. And our 21-year-old uh, is actually adopted from Russia. So he's the one that looks the most like me. And uh, just want to say just, again, thank you. And I'm blessed to be here and blessed with the opportunity to be a part of uh, Grumlaw. Yes, I'm family. I know it may not look like some of you all, but I'm telling you I'm family. Grumlaw is home for us. Uh, we've been in partnership uh, pretty much this entire year with you all. Um, our church is in Flint. It's a new church plant. We officially opened our doors uh, the second Sunday in October, and we wouldn't have been able to do that without your generosity. So I just want to, before I even jumped into my message, I want to say thank you. Thank you from everyone on the north side of Flint, uh, where our church is located at, one of the poorest economic areas of Flint. The Lord has uh, uh, put us in that position. And if it wasn't for your generosity, we wouldn't be where we are right now. And you are blessing individuals that, I'm be honest, that you may not ever meet, but they are able to meet the Lord and meet us, uh, his children, because of your generosity. So again, I want to say thank you. I uh, can't wait to spend forever in heaven with you all, but until then, we're going to continue to do God's work on the north side of Flint, and we're blessed because of you guys. And it's, been, it's actually become contagious. Your generosity has made us a generous church as well. We're giving to the community, and we're doing things that we um, probably wouldn't have done if it, we, you guys wouldn't have role modeled what generosity looks like from a church God-loving area. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, we have a laundry mat that we're building for the community, and it's just going to be pretty sweet to see God work in that type of tangible way. Not this hyper-spiritual way, but a tangible way with individuals who just simply need clean clothes. So we just, again, want to say thank you with that. And I don't want to take up too much more of my time uh, and your time, but I just want to make sure you guys knew that you have family on the north side of Flint, and uh, we appreciate you all over there at Good Church. So let's jump into this. And so I'm wrapping up a four-part series that uh, has been called Me and My Big Mouth. And um, when I got the text message from Shay, my brother from a lighter mother, uh, when, I, when I got that text message that he wanted me to finish, it, finish this up and be the anchor of this series, I, I took it, um, be honest, I took it uh, a negative way. He wanted me to be the anchor, the biggest of all the, the speakers. He wanted me to be the anchor. It's like, what are you trying to say? And then the, the, the sermon series was me and my big mouth. I'm like, why would you think I know about having a big mouth? But because he is my brother, he knows me, and he knew that this fits perfectly with some of the things that I've been going through in my life personally and spiritually, uh, some of the things that we've been going on in the last couple years. It's a series that really you don't go into church um, 
expecting, um, I'm be honest, you go into church expecting a pastor and a preacher to really kind of encourage you and you want to walk out there feeling like you walk, you're walking on clouds and you, you're feeling like you just met with the Lord face to face and it was this glorious moment. These messages are really sharpening messages. It's, they are encouraging in their own way, but these messages really hit home and they really hit to a place where at the end of the day, you have a level of conviction that should be happening in your heart. And, and be honest, as I've been going through the series with you guys and, and, and preparing for this message, this one really hit home to a point where I was even asking myself, can I even preach this message? You know, we, you know the, the phrase that you guys have been repeating over and over is quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak to speak. And this is something that I've been trying to exercise my entire life, whether it's in my professional life, whether it's been as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. It's been difficult, especially as a husband and a, and a father. You feel like with the pride that, well, I feel like with the pride that I have, it's very hard to be in this position to quick to listen and so slow to speak, especially when I know I'm right. And I'm, I'm right like 99% of the time. And that's what I usually believe. But understanding that when the Holy Spirit is in your life, he gives you this level of self-control. This level of self-control that is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, you should be able to do this not on your own strength, but because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Quick to listen and slow to speak. So with understanding that and understanding the power of the words that are coming out of your mouth, you have to understand that your conversations are really uh, construction sites. Like if we can look at that, that our conversations that we have with people, if we just look at that perspective of them being construction sites, knowing that the power of what we say would actually give life or it can take it away, and understanding from that perspective of a construction site, knowing that our words are actually building materials. That am I building this individual up or I'm, I'm dem uh, demoing them? Like, am I destroying who they are? I mean, you know, what, what's the, the phrase or the, what we used to learn when we were little kids? Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. That is the biggest lie as a kid, you could ever uh, learn. Words hurt and cut deeper than any stick and stone that could ever be thrown at you uh, to a point that it is very difficult for a lot of us to understand this concept because it's difficult for us to be a builder if we're bitter. See, there's a lot of us can have easier conversations with a certain group of people than others because there's a bitterness towards whether this individual has hurt you in the past, whether this individual has said something and started rumors about you, you've been hurt by them. And now it's very difficult for you as a builder, as a follower of Jesus to be this builder, to now try to build up someone. And it's difficult when you're bitter and bitter towards some things that they've done with you in the past and in the history. So, We've kind of been to this place in our lives that we've kind of built our life of what comes around goes around. I don't know if you're anything like me. I've been in this position, and I won't say how 
frequent this has been in my life, but when someone harms me or someone does me wrong, I want them to have either the same amount of hurt or even greater come back to bite them uh, later on. And it can be as simple as being on the expressway when somebody drives past me and kind of almost hits me and they, they go around me and they're zooming pretty fast. And then you know, a few miles up, you see them on the, um, the side of the expressway. I want to almost stop when they're pulled over by the police. And I want to go like this and I want to you know, take a selfie of them. And, and, I, and I'm almost happy that they've gotten pulled over. It's the wrong heart that I have because in my mind, we've been accustomed to be, believe what goes around comes around. That whoever hurts us, that they're going to eventually get that back in return. And it almost gives us joy having that thought that, okay, she's going to get what she's given out or he's going to get what he's given out. And we've been conditioned to that. And I want to make sure uh, as um, my assignment today, it's to challenge all of us with the story of one of my favorite stories in the Bible, that it's one of those things that God challenges us to be like this individual. So let's just jump right into it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, we're going to start uh, in verse uh, 25 uh, as well. And man, uh, the story is about this guy named Joseph. Uh, he's the son of Jacob. Jacob has 12 uh, boys and Joseph is one of Jacob's uh, favorite kids to a point that Jacob gives him a coat of many colors. Uh, and and, and uh, Joseph's mother, Rachel, who passes away after uh, or during the pregnancy, uh, excuse me, delivering of her, the last child, she dies. She's actually Jacob's favorite wife. So you have Jacob's favorite wife and Joseph is his favorite son. And so all of the other brothers that are before Joseph are like at this point of jealousy and just, <laughs> just envious of who he is and how he's being treated. And they are very upset about this individual uh, named Joseph. So they have really got to this point where they are almost thinking about like, man, should we kill him? Like, we are so angry at this kid. Let's put him in this pit. And now you're at this point right now at the story where they, are, they have actually um, decided not to kill him. Like, that's, like, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's a normal thing. Like we wanted to kill him, but okay, well, he's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him uh, as a slave at 17 years old. Like that's just a normal. And he was doing this over lunch. Like it was like this kind of weird moment where they're just sitting there deciding if they're going to kill him or sell him over lunch. And one of the brothers says, hey, no, let's, let's sell him. How can we kill our brother? Like that's again, like it, that, that's like a normal thing, but it isn't. So here we are, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up in his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him 
After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and uh, blood. His brothers agreed. Like, he is our own flesh and blood, but we're still going to sell him. Like, this doesn't make sense. So let's go through this very quickly. Let's jump down now. After they've bound him up, they've sold him to the Ishmaelites. Let's go to Genesis chapter 39, 1 through 2. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And uh, just to pause, you know, uh, Potiphar is like, uh, if you watch The Office, he's like Dwight. He's the, uh, the assistant to the assistant, or he's the assistant. Uh, goes back and forth of which one you want to call him. But he's, he's uh, assistant to the pharaoh, or assistant pharaoh, if he may call himself. But he's a high-ranking official. He has money. He has a palace. And he has a lot of things that pharaoh has given him charge over. So now Joseph is now a slave to Potiphar. The Lord, which is very key to this part, the Lord was with Joseph. This is very important that we understand this concept, and because I'm going to repeat this throughout this, and even to the end, I'm going to kind of, this is kind of my hook right here, that the Lord was with Joseph, and maybe you're even asking yourself, how can the Lord be with Joseph when his brothers were trying to kill him? How could the Lord be with Joseph when he was in the pit? How can the Lord be with Joseph when he was sold as a slave? But it's here, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar. This is, a, 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 and this is just a very cool story. Let's jump down to verse 9. No one is greater in this house than I am. Now, Potiphar had given, uh, had promoted jo- Joseph throughout this uh, journey, and he has given rule of everything inside of his, uh, you know, uh, whatever he was guardian over him, control over his kingdom, you can say. And he has given Joseph that same power. And this is now the opportunity where this his uh, Potiphar's fine wife, Potiphar wasn't going to get no ugly girl. He had a fine wife who is now talking to Joseph in this moment, and she wants this slave to sleep with, like he's a, a slave. He, like she's never heard no before, especially from a slave in her house. So watch what happens in this, and she's trying to get Joseph to sleep with her, but Joseph responds, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except Except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against not Potiphar, but how could I sin against God? He wasn't doing this for Potiphar. He was doing this because of God. Let's jump down to 20 and 21. Some of you know the story that uh, she um, tries multiple times. She takes him, his clothes and he even runs out the house naked. And, and, and she lies and says, no, he did sleep with me. And now you find uh, Joseph and Potiphar uh, right now face to face. And Joseph, uh, Potiphar has been convinced that Joseph has slept with his wife. So now Joseph, Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there, listen to this, was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Even all this negative that's been happening, we are seeing again that it's confirmed that the Lord was with them. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
This is a very, just an awesome part of the story that he's gone from the pit to the palace. Now he's in the prison. But he's also finding favor inside of the prison. And sometimes we look at these scriptures and we think they're all confined within days. This is now happening over years and it's months. This is not, they've kind of condensed this down. Like Joseph is not 17 in this moment anymore. All right, so that's 20 and 21. He's uh, inside of the prison. uh, 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 He found favor in the eyes of the prison warden. All right, so let's go to now Genesis chapter 41, 14 through 16. So you have uh, inside this prison, uh, uh, Joseph has found favor with the, 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 the prison warden, and he's starting to be promoted inside of prison. And now we have this time where Pharaoh is now having this dream. He's having these dreams, and none of the people around him can uh, interpret this dream. And throughout this time, while Joseph was in prison, the baker was uh, brought down inside of the prison and was like and uh, a butler type individual was there as well. And you find that they have dreams and Joseph interprets their dreams. And the baker uh, goes out and was like, hey, uh, my dream has been interpreted. And Joseph asked him, he says, once you get out, can you uh, tell Pharaoh who I am and that I'm here and tell people who I am so they'll know my story so I can be free. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I didn't cheat with uh, Potiphar's wife. Uh, you know, like, my brothers tried to, you know, they, they sold me. Like, let them know that I'm not supposed to be in this prison. The baker forgets, but then uh, some time goes on, and Pharaoh has a dream. And he starts wondering, like, I have this dream. Like, I, I need someone to interpret it because it feels like it means something. These dreams have something in common. I need someone. And the baker says, there is a guy who was in prison that interprets my dream. Boom, let me get him. Let me tell you, Pharaoh, about this guy. So here we are. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought up from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, because he smelled like he'd been in prison for some years, he stunk, he looked bad. He was going to present himself to Pharaoh. He had to look somewhat decent. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Love this. He says, I cannot do this. Can you imagine that baker and like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just told you about to get me put back in prison. I just told him you can do this. But listen to how Joseph replies after I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, it's not about him. It's not about his story. It's about God. Love this, because as we've seen it before, that the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was not, uh, that this was not a shock to Joseph. This was on uh, the top of Joseph's mind, that God was always with him. So God was already going to get, always get the credit for what Joseph did. I love this. Let's go down to uh, verse 37. I know I'm moving kind of fast because I want to make sure we get through this story. 37 through 40. Listen to this. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh after he interprets what happens, uh, uh, you know, to Pharaoh through these dreams. You know, this Pharaoh is just shocked like, okay, this sounds awesome. And it's really uh, almost about money a little bit. Uh, Joseph is telling Pharaoh that these dreams mean that, hey, in seven years, we're going to have some prosperous years. But then there's going to be a a famine that happens 
in the next seven years. But you need to be prepared for that. Instead of kind of just receiving everything, you need to build a whole nother place, these silos for the grain that will be coming uh, throughout these prosperous years, but they're not going to be around during the famine. So you need to build silos so that you can make money when people are in need of these grain. And Pharaoh like, wait a minute. Okay, that sounds great that I will be making money, not even during just during the prosperous years, but I'll be making money during the famine as well. So this, this plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all to his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Not the spirit of any other gods that's around, but the big G God. Can we find anyone around that's like him? Kind of reiterates that God is with Joseph. Listen to this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. Zero to hero. From prison to now, he's next in line. Like the, He's the right-hand man of the little G God of this kingdom, Pharaoh. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Just because uh, uh, Joseph was faithful to God, God has been promoting him from the pit to the palace to the prison, now next to Pharaoh. That's a God that we, that you and I, serve. Let's go to the um, uh, Genesis chapter 42 with this, verse 1 and 2. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, and now we're here with the famine, that the things have now, uh, you know, Joseph has been in his position for a while, for the seven years, things have been going great, but now things are hit this kind of low. There's uh, running low on grain, they're running low on water, the, the, the famine is around. And if you recognize this name, Jacob. Jacob is Joseph's father. Jacob's, fam- uh, Jacob's family and his, uh, his family is being impacted by this family. And listen to what's going on now. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, remember the silos, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. We may live and not die. The Pharaoh has some silos of grain. Go buy some. Go, go get some so we can eat. Y'all just sitting around on your butts looking at each other. Go do something. And so now the brothers, you go to verse six and seven and you find that now they go down there and you now understand that Joseph is over in, in, in control of everything. You find out that Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him and their faces to the ground. I want to make sure you understand this. They don't know that this is Joseph right now. They're bowing down because they know that this person they're meeting has power to give them grain or not. But they don't know that this is Joseph at this moment. They don't know that Joseph is the governor. They don't know that Joseph is even alive. They haven't seen him in years. What we find out, uh, theological um, 
uh, you know, professors and, and, and these individuals who are historical um, gatherers have found out in this moment that Joseph is around 30 years old in this moment. So these individuals haven't seen him in 13 years. They don't know what he's, what's become of Joseph, but they do know, see right now that this individual is, um, that he's powerful and he has the, now let's go to verse seven. This is pretty sweet. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. You're never going to forget who has wronged you. Like some of us have held on to some things we know in the fifth grade who stole our snack pack out of our lunchbox. Like we can hold on to that. You know, you're 60 years old. You still know who stole, who, who, who took the air out your bike or something like that. But Joseph pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. He says, where do you come from? He asked. Man, and they start talking about where they come from, from Canaan, and they come to get some food, and they're thirsty, and, 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 and so, but Joseph recognized them. So let's go to uh, Genesis uh, uh, 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Knowing, and he's kind of going back and forth. He even, you know, accused them of being spies. Like, oh, y'all come from Canaan. Y'all spies on us. And he's really kind of just messing with them. But then we're here now when Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He cleared the room. He cleared it. And now it's just him and his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. They are now outside the room and Pharaoh's household heard about what was going on. They heard him crying. Joseph is in there really crying and just, he, he, he couldn't hold it in. Like, I want you guys to understand this. And listen to this, his, I am Joseph. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing your brother that now you thought you had put away, but now he's standing there in front of you, this individual, all this power, and he's gone back and forth, and he has this. He's in power now. Can you imagine him saying this? He says, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence because now they have the individual, and this is what we're all coming, all this story is coming out to this point right here, that and uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 50. His brothers then came to them, threw themselves down before them. We are your slaves, they said, because they believe what goes around comes around. They believe, like, well, please just have mercy on us. We'll be your slaves. We know we did such a bad thing. I, I'm, we're, we, like, we are your slaves. And this is where me and my big mouth, this is where the series have been really, it's kind of been cultivating uh, uh, to this moment. This is the climactic moment where we all have to learn this part right here. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? It's not my place to do anything in return to you. Don't be afraid. You attended to harm me, but God attended it for my good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, all of those ups and downs in my life now have been used for this moment, you thought you were intending to harm me, but actually you were putting me in a position to save you. It's amazing that I'm now in a position to not just save you, but to save many. 
God turned it around for my good. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I love that. He spoke kindly to them. So my question to you as I close this is this. What do you do when you've got the power and your, uh, and your words determine the destiny of your enemy? What would you do in this moment where you now are in front of someone who has harmed you bad, like they wanted the worst for you? What would you say in this moment knowing that your words can give life or they can give this opportunity for death? What would you do? What would you do? If we were reminded throughout this, if God is with you, then he should also be within your words. He should be within your words. If God is with you, he should be also within your words. You have the power to give life to that, uh, that waiter or waitress. You have power to give uh, life to that individual who just wronged you at the, at the car lot or whatever it is. You have this moment to be an example of God's love. What a powerful thing that God has given us to know that he's with us in the pit in the palace, in prison, next to Pharaoh, it doesn't matter. He's with you. And know that whatever happens to you, if you follow what Colossians 3 and 23 said, you do unto the Lord and not man. You understand that God is always with you. And whatever you do, that you do it for the glory of God. And you can always build people up into a point where you can save their souls that he uses you to save their soul because of something negative that's happened in your life. Man, God bless you. This is what an awesome testimony uh, from Joseph to our life, that this is something that can really be a tangible thing we can do today. You can do this today. You can say, I forgive you to someone who has, they feel like, man, I've wronged them, but they may not have that uh, God that we serve inside them, but you do. And the power of your word saying, I forgive you. I'm not bitter. I'm better now. And I forgive you. How that frees someone else. It could save their soul and not just their soul, but their children's soul. Just like when it came to Joseph, he not only saved his brothers and his father, but he saved their family, their children. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me in this message. You and your big mouth could do some great things in this world. Thank you. God bless you.